0: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com.
1: This week on Meet and 3, we're examining the true cost of convenience when it comes to when, where, and
2: how we eat.
0: Dark stores enable workers to eat without any kind of thought to how they're getting their food or how it might have come to be. DoorDash, Uber and Lyft in the past have pledged to spend $90 million to try to exempt themselves from the law.
3: I could be wrong, uh, but I, I think there's going to be significant regulatory pushback on driverless trucks.
2: Tune
1: in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. This is the 229th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are the executive chef and pastry chef at one of New York City's most beloved restaurants, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have good bones. Create a solid foundation for your business so it can grow successfully. Without a reliable and sturdy base, advancement is limited. As eventually, something poorly built will deteriorate and be more problematic than the investment. Having a sound structure will not only pay off in the long run, but bring more ease to everyday life and operations. They say if you build it, they will come. But let's add to that and say, to make it last, build it really well as longevity relies on it. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guests, two chefs here with me in the studio they are executive chef Michael Anthony and pastry chef Moreau Uskokovic of Gramercy Tavern, Union Square Hospitality Group's contemporary seasonal American restaurant, which opened in New York City in 1994 by Danny Meyer, and is now celebrating its 25th anniversary. Michael joined Gramercy Tavern as executive chef in 2006. Under his leadership, the restaurant has earned a three-star New York Times review. He's also accepted multiple James Beard awards, including Outstanding Restaurant, Best Chef New York City, Outstanding Chef, and Best Vegetable-Focused Cookbook for his book, V is for Vegetables. Moreau grew up on a family farm in Serbia and moved to America after attending Hospitality College. After working with a local pastry chef in Indiana— Moreau enrolled in the CIA and while completing his externship at Wolsey in New York City, he trained as an intern at John George and later became the restaurant's pastry sous chef. He then went on to become pastry chef at Aldea before joining Gramercy Tavern as pastry chef in 2013 and he has been named one of Dessert Professionals' top 10 pastry chefs. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
3: Those and here. those are the short bios, and they were still quite long. A lot of a lot of history, a lot of accolades in there. So, um, thank you guys for coming out. It's
1: nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for
3: having us. Yeah, it's nice to have you. Nice to have you together too. This is this is going to be really fun.
1: <laughs> As I was listening to you read our bio, it, it's nice to remember that the thing that connects us the common denominator is Indiana,
3: Indiana.
1: <laughs> we, we both I, have Indiana true. in our background
3: I have that in my notes <laughs> because you went, you went to Indiana re- University
1: yes that's right yes. Yep, my mom's from Indianapolis and I graduated from IU
3: yeah. Well, Miroslav, is, that, is that how, how Miro That's got, what sealed
1: the deal. I was interviewing him and <laughs> I was asking him a little bit about his background. I'm like, "How does a Serbian pastry chef know anything about an all-American restaurant?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, you know, I started working in Kokomo, Indiana, or was it Kokomo or Greentown?" Yeah, Greentown. Next right. to
0: Kokomo.
1: <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, yeah. this Greentown, guy. Indiana. This guy knows all about the heartland."
3: Amazing. Yeah. So, so getting so with your backgrounds with with and should, do you prefer Michael or Mike? Mike. Mike. Yeah. Let's go with Mike. Yeah. So Mike, when did you know you wanted to be a chef? Like, what your childhood did that? I don't know. Influence? I woke
1: up yesterday and I wasn't really sure <laughs> which, which way I went. I, I decided late. I graduated from college and started traveling, and I was uh, I was living in Japan when I finally decided to act on the my interest in cooking, and I kind of. Had thought about it before, but I kind of figured I missed the boat and, you know, allowed myself to, you know, kind of be convinced that you have to start much earlier in the industry. And I was kind of out on my own and a long way away from family and friends. And I was interested in food and and wine, and I just didn't know there would be, you know, a vocation. And I I met someone who was, um, well, I actually had a few jobs. I I got a job in a bakery and um, worked in the early morning hours, mostly just to... um, be in a Japanese speaking environment. I was living outside of Tokyo and, um, and it was a cool job. And I made a lot of weird breads like on pun, right? It's a little yeah. milk bread with uh red bean paste stuffed in it, <laughs> and like curry bread, which was like a salty yeah. curry bread that they like to eat in the morning. And we did like these little, uh, kind of baguette stuffed with hot dogs and corn, really weird stuff strangely addictive (laughs) anyway it was a weird story and it just gave me a little um you know kind of glimpse of the restaurant world and I would work from like three in the morning until seven and I would go take a shower and rush off to my job and finally I found a I wrote a letter to the then culinary critic of the International Herald Tribune in Tokyo a guy named Clint Hall who I'd never met in person and I just liked his writing and said, you know, I'm an American kid, I'm interested in going to cooking school in Osaka, and I need a professional experience. Is there anyone who you think might allow me in their kitchen? And the guy was kind enough to answer. I I was really shocked that he answered my letter. And not only did he answer, he said he'd introduce me to someone. And I, I met a chef who turned out to be a great teacher. And gave me a start it gave me a very real start it was an eye opening experience I, I didn't know that I would survive the experience when I was in it it was very hard just I
3: can of- imagine I mean there's I don't I was, I was talking to someone yesterday about how most people who've come on my show the, the, they're alum of the CIA or Cornell University Hospitality School I have a lot of that but I don't have many I think you're my first from a school in Japan
1: Um, Well, you know, my story is even more roundabout. So I worked in Japan for two years and the chef taught me a lot. And it was it was really a great learning experience. And one day, uh, she came to me and said, "Uh, that's it. You know, I've taught you everything I know. Now it's time for you to leave. And I was like, kind of floored. I thought I had done something wrong. I was getting fired. And, uh, and then, you know, I kind of got myself together. And, I said, well, you know, does this mean I can apply for cooking school in Osaka? And she was like, no, you're from the West. You should go to cooking school in France. You go to Paris, place that I went to cooking school. And if you love Japan so much, then you can come back. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was not at all what I had planned. And um, it was one of those moments when I had to kind of dig down deep and say, all right, you know, am I going to follow you know, follow my own voice or am I going to listen to someone who has more experience than than me? And so I, I ultimately decided to, to go to Paris and that's, that's where I went to cooking school.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. I went is. to
1: Ferrandi, which is, uh, you know, a kind of a culinary school that, um, is a vocational school, part of the national system and kids between like 16 and 18, um, get, uh, basically an equivalency of a high school diploma. And, um, and I, Enrolled and got in.
3: Okay, well, that's a first for my show, I think, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a weird story. I mean, res- the restaurant business has yeah. all kinds of roundabout stories, and mine was just like way roundabout.
3: <laughs> yeah, and and Moreau, what about you? Lead it, coming to the U.S. and then, did you look at a lot of different culinary schools, or did you just decide at one point? Well, it was want- not that easy. Yeah, I
2: would say. I think. Um, It was a a long road to deciding to become a chef, and I think it was filled with a lot of uh, anxiety and uh, um, self-imposed expectations. Uh, You know, as you said, I come from Serbia, and I grew up during the very uh, turbulent time when I was six. It's where all the conflicts in former Yugoslavia started, and countries started falling apart, so everything went down to shit. So and I was um, it's a family I, program I should, it's sorry a family program. <laughs> sorry sorry about that I said, I said um, it was alright <laughs> yeah and um, and in my family you know it's a middle class family my parents never went to college um, uh, my sister dropped out of the college when uh, war started and uh I got married. My brother never also wanted to go. So I was like the last child there and the last hope to go to college. So all the eyes were on me. And they really never, like, as I said, they never really imposed any expectations of me. But um, they did a lot. They sacrificed a lot for me to get the higher education to come to the United States. So I kind of, as I said, self-imposed that on me to, to you know, I always told them, like, I want to achieve greatness to become known to famous and you know like everybody else wants that but i never saw um, me going into cooking because cooking in serbia at that time and even now was really not something that's considered a high you know a good job it's something that people usually who would drop out of the high school will go so it was not something that they wanted for me or i wanted or i thought i wanted to do that will bring me um uh, what what i expected for myself you know everybody always wished to be a doctor lawyer and all of those things so it was a really a long road until I decided what that I really want to do cooking. And I always loved food. I loved travel. I studied hospitality and tourism. And, you know, travel and food is very interconnected. And only when I came to the United States, um, when I showed interest in cooking, my host family in Indiana is where they kind of started planting a seed and saying, why don't you go to cooking school to become a chef? And I always kept saying, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not enough. You know, my family didn't go to hell and back for me to become a cook at the end so but I um but as the years went by and you know I started working in a pastry shop at 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 Indiana and um I started realizing this is really what I want so it, it took a time for me to convince myself uh that I want to go to cooking school and I want to become chef um and it took some time to um well, I, I wouldn't say I, they were not convinced from the get-go. My family always supported me, and they always believed no matter what I do, I'll, I'll, I'll right. do my best. But um, that was probably not what everybody envisioned. I still remember the day before I came to United States. Um, you know, when I was talking with all my family there, and they, you know, my aunt asked me, he's like, what are you gonna do when you go there while well, you, you know, getting situated?" and, and and everything else, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just bake some cakes from home and sell that. Um, and um, she says, well, I hope that's not a long-term solution. Uh, that's not—that's what women do. That's not a good career path. And that still like rang in my head is like how these people, you know, w- what the perception was of becoming a chef, and yet what the perception is becoming a pastry chef. And as I said, it it took a while for me to be like no this is what I want to do and you have I had to accept myself and my family is very proud of me when they see what I have achieved what I have done today and when you get written up in New York Times you know everybody's proud of you so Uh,
3: (laughs) yeah of of course
2: (laughs) uh, but uh it took it took years it took years for myself to accept even today sometimes I feel like you know everybody looks the evolution and what 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 is the next and uh, you know, hope for more and and so on.
3: Yeah, of course. That's I mean, there's there's the you know a lot of times people look at the end results of where you are now, but yeah. the the process in getting there you know many many years and figuring it out and paying yeah. dues. Um, so you both ended up in New York City, yeah. and you've worked. I, I know also, Mike, in a longer bio, you had some time at Blue Hill Stone Barns, three stars at the time I think mm-hmm. um so what led you to to New York and then both of you getting to Gramercy Tavern I know a f- couple years apart in there <laughs> but you both you both are a part of this amazing restaurant that you've been at now for a while yeah, yeah.
2: well, well what what you celebrated you 13 years in? this year I was celebrating the uh, this is my seventh year yeah, yeah that's a pretty good stretch yeah in,
3: in restaurant years, I, I, I was saying it, even twenty five years of, of having a restaurant. Both those, both the times you've been there, that's a lot. I mean, it's I, I know, think
1: plus like restaurants, you have to like count your life like dog. Le- dog right, bears. you have to <laughs> multiply year, that seven
3: time like time like <laughs> yeah. three of them. Much many, more hair you know? before <laughs> I
2: started. Yes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so what so Mike, what led you what led you there? And you, I mean, Tom Calicchio was. The chef before you, and but from if I'm correct or if I understand correctly, all these 25 years there's only there's two of you have been the the executive chef, which also I think is pretty incredible.
1: That's a credit to (laughs) to the yeah the longevity of the restaurant and the stability of it. You know I had left the Stone Barns and came back to the city and intended to open a restaurant and had written a business plan and connected with a college friend and you know, had a space in mind. And, uh, I went to see Danny and I wanted him to look at, look the business plan over and just, you know, point out what I had forgotten. Give me some pointers. He was very generous with his time and attention and wisdom. You know, there's nobody better than, than Danny Meyer. He's, you know, the most amazing thinker and most genuine person. And, uh, our conversation, you know, Was really helpful and helped me along, but it also took a right hand turn and it just happened to come at a kind of fortuitous moment when that restaurant was going through, um, you know, change. And uh, he he asked me politely if I would ever consider working in one of his restaurants and if so, which one. And I said, well, you know, that's easy, the Gramercy Tavern. And it's an amazing, you know, platform to talk about contemporary American food. Uh, But we know that that's not possible. And well, it, it became possible. So, um, it was an amazing, uh, unexpected chapter in my life. And, you know, one that I feel quite lucky to, to, to experience. And, you know, it continues 13 years later to be a challenge and exciting and, you know, really, uh, rewarding the fact that we continue to draw smart people, hardworking people from all over who not only want to learn how to cook, but they want to learn how to run restaurants. So, they're interested in working every station, every station in the kitchen. And now even every station throughout the front of the house. And we've been able to close the gap. A lot of the people who work for us want to uh, have an experience of working with the farmers that we do business with. Um, so, I, you know, the industry has changed as well. And I think, um, you know, we kind of have embraced this notion of it takes all of these experiences to figure out how to stay alive in the restaurant business now more than ever it's always been hard but it's only getting harder
3: well that i mean my my actually my tip came when i was thinking of it i was thinking the foundation that gramercy tavern has established all these years is something there that's like Solid, you know, that you've built upon all these years. I
1: mean, it's a great culture and that comes from the top. Danny wrote the book and, you know, it's one that we use setting the table to, uh, you know, train managers and, uh, frame the conversations that we have every day with employees. You know, lots of things go wrong in restaurants and that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a normal thing, right? It's no such thing as a perfect day. And it's really how you deal with them that, um, that matters and, That's not new, but Danny has a great way of, you know, kind of um, coining uh, phrases and expressions and framing uh, the way in which we talk about problems, that it gives people a chance to not just do the old thing of, you know, mimic your boss, but it gives Mm -hmm. them a chance to understand how to go about thinking about dealing with problems. And I thought I knew a thing or two about the restaurant business before coming to Gramercy, but, um, you know, I have learned a lot since. And... Um, and I think that's the thing that continues to be the draw. I mean, I'm really proud of the cooking that we do and very proud of the culture that we create, but it really is the overall learning experience that continues to make it a a super interesting place to, to work. Um, you know, uh, and I think that if we can keep bringing those kinds of challenges in a more and more competitive world, that it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a healthy thing. We look at the, you know, the restaurant kind of like, um, I don't know, a university program, come in and you have some tools that you bring from the outside you have to really want to belong to that group in order to get up to speed and you know it's a big challenge big restaurant every day very busy high expectations um but at the end of the day when you you know you've 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 put in your 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 best effort you made a lot of friends at a certain point it's time to move on like it's healthy to keep moving in this business it's exciting to go out and learn new things and you know we can't look at that as if it's a failure it's a natural and normal part of the work um, timeline and so when you know people come to Miro and myself and the other managers and say hey look you know I've had a great time working here but I think I'm kind of dreaming of what's next it allows us to engage and to be helpful in people's career yeah. you know sift through all the things you could be doing and you know, with a little bit of experience behind us, we get a chance to steer people in the right direction. And it's just as important where they go after they work with us as it is what they're doing while they're working for us.
3: Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I was thinking both of you have stayed, you've been, you've been a part of this team for a while. Um, Moreau. what drew you to working at Gramercy Tavern and staying for the amount of years you've been there. Yeah, well, I <clears throat> I never thought that I would get a job,
2: I'll be honest with you, <laughs> when, when I applied. So uh, that, that year, 2013, I was a space chef in Altea and gave my notice, and I was planning to move to California when I've learned that Nancy Olsen, who was great Nancy Olsen, who was previous space chef, was leaving. And, um, you know, I was like, there's no way. This is a big restaurant. It's been there for almost 20 years, you know, Nancy, Claudia, and Mike, Tom, so I, you know, I was just a 28-year-old kid who just had a few years of experience, and so I never taught or believed, but I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and apply, and just to get an experience in terms of interviewing, tasting, and so on, and I uh, reached out to Mike and somehow managed to get his email, and I reached out to him directly, and he wanted to meet me. And it's all um, about Indiana. Yeah. yeah, and I think we spoke <laughs> for like three and a half hours. I, I Literally, I think it was going to some renovation at that time. I think mm-hmm. we were installing the new stoves. I yeah. can't remember. There was a lot of construction going on, and as I was passing by the kitchen, he was giving me a tour. I was like, shit, Like this pastry kitchen was bigger, the entire kitchen space at Aldea, you know? And I was like, they had everything, Sheeter, you know, it was a dream, dream space. Um, and then, um, but uh, what really drew me to Gramercy Tavern was, um, you know, aside from what great place it was and the company and Danny Meyer, it was Michael. Because I think the one most important thing and most difficult thing for any pastry chef is working with the, the savory chef, right? I think it, 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 that can make it or break it. And I think it is very important to whoever you work with that partner is somebody who you get along with, who you like. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, it's definitely, no matter how great place it is, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Um, so uh, we hit off right away. Uh, you know, I was very uh, amused by his kindness and his Intellect and fact that he was from Midwest as well, from Indiana. So there was a lot of things, and as I said, it was a three and a half hour long conversation, and we spoke again. I did a tasting. We spoke again. Like you know, we we had extensive talks, and um, and every time I spoke to him, more and more and more, I was like. I really, I really want to work here. <laughs> and like, you got it. And, but I never believed it's yeah. going to happen. I'll be honest with you, because once I, um, I saw the list of, uh, <laughs> and it was left by accident in a pastry kitchen of uh, who is coming to do the trailer <laughs> oh, really? of the other names, and I was <laughs> like, shit, there were names that I used to work for in, in, a, in, in a past. I was like, there's no way I'm gonna get this well, job. When I saw who was there, and yeah. I was like, crap. But mm, he called. He called in um, in, <laughs> in September. He actually asked me, could you come in so you can have a dinner? And I'm like, sure. And, you know, as I said, I was right. young, too American, fresh. You know, I didn't really know what that meant. And we had a great dinner. Juliet Pope poured a lot of alcohol. I definitely get really, really buzzed. And I left, there,
1: weapon yeah,
2: I left there thinking, I was like, did I get a job or not? I was really confused. <laughs> <laughs> What, what? You know, it was a really great time. We had a great conversation, but I just yeah. walked out of there. I was like too much, uh, you know, alcohol. Maybe he did offer, maybe he did not. I couldn't remember <laughs> anything until I got an email following day from him and Catherine and Hines, uh, who was working with us at the time. And I was like, shit, like, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, I got a job. I can't believe. And it was, you know, I still remember the first day when I walked in, you know, going from Aldea where there's like 20 Mm -hmm. 20 staff you know members walking into 200 staff uh, place uh, and you know I had everybody come during the family meal to introduce me and I remember all of the uh, pastry cook lined up there was about 14 of them and I was just freaking out I was like shit what did I get myself (laughs)
3: Well, six years later yeah
2: Yeah, and yeah it took a time it was definitely um, a huge huge change uh, but it worked out well, and I think it worked out well mostly because, you know, I had a great partner in crime who was really supportive and great and really, and still is, and encouraged yeah. me uh, to, to be my best and really gave me all support. you know, him as well as the rest of the staff, too. It was really a great, it's definitely a great environment and a great place, and which allows me to, to achieve my potential and be the best. In it.
3: Yes, I love it. We're going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back, and we'll talk more with Mike and Moreau. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
0: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 three
3: five three nine Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today are executive chef Mike Anthony of Gramercy Tavern and pastry chef Miro Uskokovic of Gramercy Tavern.
2: Usk- Uskokovic.
1: Do
3: I'm saying it right Uskok- now? I'm trying you're you're very hard. You're saying it better
2: than most. Am yeah. I saying it right? <laughs> Uskokovic. S- yeah,
1: tell I'm me, tell that. me
3: the correct pronunciation. Well, my full name
2: is Miroslav Uskokovic or Uskokovic, like they would say it in Serbia. You have oh, to oh, accent oh. that, right? But it's Miro Uskokovic. It's good. Ch. It has to be <laughs> ch. ch-, ch- Uskokovic. Uskokovic.
3: Uskokovic.
2: Uskokovic. Okay. Vich. Vich. Yes, you're good. You're good.
3: I'm trying. No. I'm trying. No, I, can... I really. Mike Anthony, Michael Anthony. I got. I think I got that <laughs> That's one. Quite yeah. It's easy.
2: <laughs> Two first names. You could just be Miro. <laughs> Miro. Just
3: Miro. Miro and Mike. Miro. <laughs> so um let's talk about Gramercy tavern's 25th anniversary which I know you've been celebrating all year and actually you know i was, I've, I had on uh Claudia Fleming around the time she you guys had a dinner with her yeah. with I think Tom was Tom clique you first too? time
1: we had ever yeah. been in the kitchen all together.
3: yeah Amazing. I it's had amazing. Tom on my show a while ago. I've had Danny on. Like, I feel like I've had, I love, I love your Grammar Street Tavern family. And so tell me more about all these celebrations you're doing.
1: Uh, yeah. So, well, 25 years um, is an amazing time frame, and we're all very proud of it. We just didn't really know how to make it our own. And so we came up with a kind of a low key idea called Tavern Takeovers, which, um, consists of inviting alumni back to participate in service mostly on mondays um gives uh the current team a chance to get to know all the people that over the years have worked so hard to build that restaurant um it's a cool way to invite alumni back to you know kind of do what they love doing in a place that they all kind of consider home um It's amazing for the fans of uh, those folks and fans of Gramercy Tavern to see them back in action. And it really, it has um, been rewarding because it kind of, it's a way to knit together this fabric of, you know, of uh, a family heirloom of. a family tree it's cool because in the you know restaurant generations move so fast that it's very common in restaurants that stick around for a while that people you know who feel committed and who have worked at one restaurant don't really even know the the folks that came before them they've never met them in person and so this initiative is really bringing a lot of people together and we spend more time facing um Inward than really outward. Most, most of these events are geared towards driving business and, you know, attracting uh, press hits. And this is really, we spend most of our time with the guests uh, talking to the teams uh, behind the scenes in the kitchen, in the dining room. Uh, The stories that they tell are all really amazing. They, you know, talk about nostalgic moments or things they remember, ways in which the restaurant's the same or different. They talk about people who are on the line next to them. And many of those folks um, have either come through and also done tavern takeovers or are well known in the industry. And, you know, so you can see the eyes of our our cooks and servers kind of like get big as they tell these stories. And it starts to kind of also... You know, everybody is really in that moment in your career where you're working really hard. You're asking yourself constantly, like, where am I going with this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what am I going to do? Right. And so it's a chance every week for them to hear from somebody that was in their shoes and see what they, what they did before they worked at Gramercy, what they remember about working there, how those, you know, skills and... um uh, tools have helped them since they, they left the restaurant and what they decided to do with their, their career. And so it's, it's pretty cool. It's been, it's been really rewarding.
2: Yeah. It's empowering, you know, for people to see where they can be next, right? When they see, you see so many great names come back and see that they also worked at Gramercy Tavern, you know, as Mike says, like you work very hard. Sometimes you question yourself what's next, and then you see somebody who went through the same thing and where they are now. It's definitely brings a lot of hope and, and pushes you
3: harder. Yeah. I'm thinking about yeah. your Gramercy <clears throat> Tavern tree. Your, you know, It must be huge with your alumni, an and, alumni and what they've yes. done. I was yep. just
1: in Seoul last week, and uh, we met with a group of former Gramercy Tavern employees, and we went out to dinner, and we realized that there are about 30 people that now live and work in Seoul alone that you know worked uh, at some point over the last... years at Gramercy Tavern and it was just a great time to be together and you could see how much everyone you know felt how strongly they felt to be in the same place at the same time and that group this was the second time we had done this and that group most everyone Already knew each other, but there were a few people who had never actually met in person. And we were joking, you know, as we were kind of like knee deep in soju and beer and stuff, and <laughs> that, hey, this is, you know, we should do an alumni association. And by the end of the night, we gave it a name the Korean alumni, alum, the Korean alumni of Gramercy Tavern, K A G T. <laughs> and and we, you have a
3: hashtag. Oh, and yeah, yeah, we have a hashtag. Nominated a president. <laughs> and
1: and then all kidding aside, it just started off kind of as a joke. But the reality of it is, is that's enough people that, you know, we're hoping that more kids that are graduating from culinary school. And there are a lot of them that come from Korea will come our way. And, you know, while they're trying to make a decision of, of all the places they could work, why would they come to Gramercy? And it's not a bad way to, you know, give them information and not not a bad recruiting tool. Um, and then after they graduate, like, what are they going to do? Like many of them have to go home because yeah. they don't have another um you know option in terms of a work visa so when they are looking for a job or looking to open their restaurant we I just learned that um, one former employee had a restaurant for a few years uh, he decided to close it um, but the equipment was still useful so he sold all the equipment to another, employee who was just just opening their place so it's a nice nice connection and you know some of those folks have gone on to do amazing things and are very well known especially they're well known internationally but especially in korea so it's a great networking opportunity and i think uh, there's probably something we could build on in terms of connecting this group that has all recently been back for tavern takeovers. And you know, there are you know, many, many other people who who live outside of New York who haven't been back recently. Uh, but when we threw the party in July, we threw one big um, get-together. It was only for present and past employees. No spouses. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we had 500 people in that yeah. space. Amazing. It was
2: you know? huge. Yeah. It was amazing.
3: So let me let's roll back a little bit to the questions I have from my last episodes when I I asked my guests to ask you questions because we we did a little rescheduling. I have two questions for you guys, and they're both great, so I want to play them both back. So the first one is from episode 220 I had on Evelyn Kim. She's the co-founder and policy director of Rethink Food NYC, a nonprofit organization upcycling excess food to distribute meals to underserved communities in New York City. So here is her question
0: for you guys. Uh First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Michael and his team because uh, we uh, pick up from Gramercy. Michael has been such a huge supporter of what we do. I absolutely adore that man, adore him. So the question I would ask them is that what do they see the next 25 years of Gramercy? What would they like to concentrate on, not only in terms of the food they produce, but also in terms of staff development in terms of being able to create sustainable lives for their chefs, for their hospitality servers, and for the people that, um, for the food that they create and the, obviously, the the uh, farmers and the purveyors that they work with?
2: It's a
1: great question.
3: And you're adored. <laughs> That's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a great question.
0: Um,
1: yeah, it's a really good question. And when you look into the future, you know, one of the things that, think every restaurant has to um you know kind of humbly hope for is that we're still doing this uh the good news with Gramercy Tavern is is it has quite a foundation and you know great um financial foundation and unbelievable cultural foundation so we're really hoping that we're gonna you know be able to contemplate what the next 25 years looks like and as it looks right now you know what we're trying to do is dig in deeper and expand wider meaning um every restaurant organization is talking about growth as is ours and that's you know a relatively you know common evolution to to our industry um and and it's a positive thing but when i hear the word growth i i understand it as meaning improvement and um and one of the things that that i would like for us to be known as is kind of widening our engagement i mentioned it earlier that now people um, more than ever come to Gramercy tavern with the full-on intention of working every station so there's a certain amount of respect that comes in the way we work um, but it's it's more than just respect for each and every employee in each and every station it's a matter of you know reaching outside the four walls of the restaurant uh, we're lucky you know in the time frame that we uh, have decided to do this for a living people look at our uh, at our jobs and our industry in a different light and Miro was talking about his parents I went through a similar you know kind of uh transition with my my parents accepting this as an interesting career path but now we've seen how society looks at the restaurant industry and the role of a chef um and the way the industry itself is looking at you know what what evolution looks like so I what I'd like to see is is that we're we're playing the role of a co-producer that we have our own team as a part of the regular interesting learning opportunities that you get working in a restaurant, learning about um, yourself, learning about your emotional reaction to challenging jobs and, um, and, and seeing how we can expand that outside the four walls and whether that means, you know, a rotation of people working um, with the production of the food that we're using uh, if that means that people are engaging in um, what what's the impact of the um, of our operations in terms of waste uh, what uh, how is Gramercy tavern playing a positive role in educating young people in the community We're very active already but there's so much more um, you know how um, how the restaurant uh, behaves outside the four four walls is, um, what I think will continue to strengthen Gramercy Tavern, all you know, all th- along the way, making sure that we're still students of food and wine. That <clears throat> may sound like an obvious thing, it may also um, may also sound really challenging. I mean, as we look at the future of economics of the restaurant business and and the, the way people like to eat in, in New York City and around the world, um, we constantly have to reinvent ourselves. It's a strength of grammarcy that we protect what's inherently beloved, and at the same time, we're willing to reconsider everything. So it may look and feel exactly the way it has for the last 25 years, but you can bet that underneath the surface, every day we're, we're challenging ourselves, we're reconsidering the way we go about doing what we do. Um, yeah. In a way, we're trying to protect the, um, you know, the the act of cooking fresh food from scratch. It's a very simple and straightforward thing. There's magic in that monotony. Um, I hope in 25 years we get to still practice the craft of cooking fresh seasonal foods. Um, but the way in which we sell it may be completely different.
3: Well, we'll have to stay tuned for that. But, um did you have anything to add to that? Or no, well, I mean, he okay. spoke Okay. I know, to him. I know, that was, that was <laughs> it was mesmerizing. No, he he, he spoke quite well. Let's do question, this, the second question then. an um, episode 228, I had on Josh Emmett. He's a chef from New Zealand. He's the co-founder of Go-To Collection, and that includes Rata, Madame Wu, and Hawker and Roll. He's a new cookbook out called The Recipe and I know Josh back from uh, his days he worked for Gordon Ramsay at the London here. Um, Um, So here's his question.
2: Well, firstly, uh, 25 years, congratulations. Uh, Big fan, and I've I've loved the restaurant for so many years. The question is, I guess, and and pretty apt, uh, the fact that they're 25 years old. Uh, Gramercy Tavern has an, an identity of its own. How do you manage... I guess change and, uh, you know, does it become status quo or does it become maintaining a certain standard, you know, when you've got staff at front of house and back of house that are coming in and they either come to work because it's Gramercy Tavern or they come with ideas. How do you manage those ideas whilst staying true to what Gramercy Tavern is because Gramercy Tavern possibly shouldn't change, I don't know, that's the question. Josh is a great chef. Yeah.
1: That's yes. a great question, Muriel?
2: <clears throat> well, no, I don't think so. We will practice status quo, and I think uh, staying great and relevant means changing and evolving, right? But changing doesn't mean you have to change everything from the ground up. It just means like keeping up and being staying ahead and always thinking what's next and how to incorporate. Because we live in this world where things are so rapidly changing and trends are evolving all the time and you have to be aware of what's happening like i don't think so you can just you know maintain the status quo and maintain the presence mm-hmm. without being aware of what's out there and um, trying to incorporate that. So, you know, I think we consider ourselves to be a contemporary American restaurant uh, that has certain um, uh, foundation, as Mike said, and, you know, we are Gramercy at Tavern, we do what we believe, but we always look, what are the other things that we can add and do and how we can better ourselves uh, from today to tomorrow, you know, and, and I think that's what the evolution is all about, it's not just achieving certain stage and staying there it is about constantly evolving constantly pushing ourselves and I think entire our team is like that we're always looking out there what's new it's what's exciting and it is good for ourselves first and foremost to be engaged uh, to be satisfied and then it's good for business and for everyone else who is involved in it yeah
3: yeah well said Okay, we typically take a break here, but I think we're just going to run through it because we're, 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 I don't know, we're good on time, but we're a little short on time. So what, what happens now is I have my speed round game. Huh? Oh, So what this is, is I name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. That's difficult. <laughs> this is a hard I'm thinking. Part. I'm thinking my example is yes. very difficult for you. But um, we'll go through it. Uh it's there's there's 10 choices or 10 um yeah, pick and choose and then uh, we'll see how how you do. There's okay. no right or wrong. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Here we Before
2: go. We reveal something about your <laughs> inner
3: personality? Eat in or eat out? <laughs>
2: in in for me always
3: you just looked at me yeah. like what in okay in wine beer cocktail or mocktail
2: uh, that's really difficult depending <laughs> <laughs> depending on uh, what the occasion is uh, I like all of it so
1: just okay. depending on what the occasion all of the is above. Uh,
2: if
1: Check. I had to answer I'll say wine
3: how about tasting menu or a la carte and you guys have both.
2: Both. <laughs> Do we have to choose?
3: It's up to you. I mean, I'm not going to penalize you.
1: <laughs> I'll say I'll say tasting menu, but I'm dreaming of the day that I can be, you know, calm and poised enough one to have a favorite restaurant that I go back to over and over again, two that I could go there and just like be cool enough to order like two dishes and <laughs> and be restrained <laughs> enough to just eat that. That's, you know, I can't do that These days When I go out yeah. like, I want to taste everything yeah.
2: yeah I think for most of the chefs It's always tasting Even if you choose a la carte They usually send you So many things out It yeah. becomes It becomes a, a tasting a tasting a certain, Yeah For yeah. the entire menu Yeah it's a, it's
3: a It's a I don't know It's a good problem to yeah, have yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> How about Small plates Or large plates
2: <sighs> I would say large plates uh, I think
1: every question we, we're like both. both. All of okay,
3: <laughs> I mean, every, we love to
1: eat, obviously, but um, just the
3: game. You can have, both. yeah.
2: I I prefer larger plates. I, I and especially you know if you're going out with friends and you want to share, small plates are not
1: really. I'm with Mira yeah. I like the conviviality of yeah. eating, committing to eating something for the meal and sharing it. Yeah. That. yeah, that's cool.
3: So, how about communal table or chef's counter?
1: I'd say the table because if I'm at the counter, like I'm watching the kitchen and and I can't detach myself (laughs) from what's going on. Right. Yeah, that's true. I agree. My wife's like, hello, do you want to have dinner with (laughs) them?
3: Good point. Yeah. Tipping or all inclusive charge?
1: No tipping. Yeah.
3: No tipping. Hospitality included. No tipping. Uh, daily Provisions Crawler or Shake Shack's Frozen Custard?
2: For me, it's easy. I'm sorry, Shake Shack, but I do love Daily Provision Crawler. feel partial toward that. And Daniel Alvarez, who's pastry Chef. He used um, to
1: work with me. Yeah, he
2: used to work with me. a Good and, friend of mine. And I also love donuts and love fried stuff and custardy stuff. And it's all of that in one. So
3: and and they're killing it up on the upper west side that just opened yeah i mean yeah Yeah. i mean everywhere i think
2: and just to clarify daniel was there now it is christina lisa who is his uh, sous chef and also worked with me too so i'm really super proud of both of them and what they have
3: it's delicious what about you mike
2: i would
1: say custard because like i don't know as an extension (laughs) ice cream is my advice
3: (laughs) okay a few more gramercy tavern's Flower arrangements in the winter, spring, summer, or fall?
2: We have to say all the time. Mm. <laughs> day's listen. Well,
3: yeah, if I was <laughs> yeah. you, I'd say all the time. <laughs> no, They're it's stunning. all the time.
2: It's all the time. Fall is my
1: favorite Change. season, but I think summer is the most stunning when. Roberta does the sunflowers. Yeah. That's, the, that's the most yeah. stunning.
2: But I, I would say also holiday season. And, uh, you know, from Thanksgiving to Christmas is when she does goes all out and does beautiful holiday decoration. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's when we do crazy. a tree and, and, and house-made cookie ornaments and those beautiful flower balls hanging over everybody's head. And, like, it's, it's definitely a magical time
3: of the year. Magical. It's always magical. Your restaurant is magical. And, and people, side note, people do ask me all the time, what's your favorite restaurant? And I can't answer that question. But if I had to start naming favorites, Gramercy Tavern comes up on my list every time. Cool. Thank you. It really does. It's very, it's very special. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or Dessert.
2: Dessert. Oh, for me, it's boat. I like to (laughs) have cheese first. So funny. From the pastry chef. I like to have a dessert after. I mean, I don't skip anything. Do I I look like I skip
3: anything? (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) funny. Last one's Manhattan or Brooklyn?
2: Uh, Queens.
3: (laughs) Or Queens. (laughs) Come on,
2: people. There is another borough Uh in New York City. It's called Queens. I know it's not hipster enough.
3: Sorry. But it
1: exists.
2: (laughs) Please come visit. I'm
1: stuck in Manhattan. I'm, I'm in. I'm Manhattan.
3: Awesome, that's the game. You win. <laughs> so, for industry news, I picked out an article that was, and it wasn't because you guys were in it. It's a great article, but you are in it. It's in GQ by Brett Martin, who's also he came back. He was Brett's on my show. He's a great writer. He's a great writer. I did a show with him back. Uh, he was on two, and a episode two fifteen. He's a good guy, great writer, and this article is called The New Classics. So every year, and we did, when I had him on my show, we talked about his new best new restaurant list, which he goes travels around the country, he finds all these gems. And so this article was was saying, yes, I do that list and it's fabulous, but let's talk about these places that are 10, 15 years old, these classics, and why they're so special and why they've, they've you know, the places you should be eating now and every day, and Gramercy Tavern is on that list. Um, and it, it, I I agree with him. I mean, these are these are you know he's of the of others on it. He also had in New York. He had El Buco, He had uh, prune, and then some places like uh, Herb Saint in New Orleans. You no, know, like great, list. great, yeah. great, really great list. So you know what I like about
1: that is that, and this might—I'm—I'm I'm a little older, maybe about the same age as Brett. Uh, I, I, I love his writing to begin with, and I—I I like that article because it's written by a guy who loves eating. And maybe when you get a little older, you know what you want. It was, you know, Frank Bruni wrote an interesting piece a few months ago about the, you know, the different uh, ages of, you know, knowing what we want and how you progress as you get older um but he loves eating and the, the all the restaurants that he listed on in that article you know are places where you can eat really well mm-hmm. places that are committed to cooking food and that are just you know not as not as self-conscious as younger places that are about the vibe and about the people um so i was real i felt flattered that he included us in that list yeah. and i was really pumped to to read that piece and you know i thought it was well written and um very uh, yeah, very poignant writing. Yeah. I, I yeah. like that a lot. I, I felt really privileged that he included us.
2: Yes, me too. And I loved his introduction. It's a little bit funny and sarcastic at parts. It was really, really, really great article. You know, and it was yeah. funny when he said that. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're tired of waiting, when your legs are tired waiting in line or hands are tired of passing the food around. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, I mean, that's how the things are, as Mike said, like you a know, certain generation, definitely uh, my generation and younger, you know, we're all about the vibe and how things are, but it is important to have these places that he listed because that's where essentially um, at the end, we all want to sit down and eat and, and, and enjoy and just relax and don't have to wait in lines. <laughs> and pass foot around.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree with both of you. Another another one on the list was Fig, uh, Mike Gladis place What a great Charles restaurant. Dan. Yes. Amazing restaurant and you know, tying that in, the last I when I had lunch at Gramercy Tavern a couple of months ago, Mike was there and and I ran it and he was doing the today show and it was so great to see him He's and it was awesome. fun, like so um
1: He's a great guy yeah. and love his restaurants. The Ordinary is amazing. Yeah, those oysters. (laughs) Always fantastic. Their team, Jason Stanhope, the whole crew. Love those guys.
3: I feel the love. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, we're going to take one more break, and we are going to come back. We'll have my solo dining experience and the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
2: this podcast, Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm the host of The Food Scene here on HRN. This show explores the intersection of food, art, and design by talking to people who are inspired by these ideas. The show features food photographers, food stylists, interior designers, and so much more. All the players that make the world so visually delicious. You can find The Food Scene wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
3: to all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at the TAC Room. Here's the rundown. The location, 20 Hudson Yards, 5th floor, New York City. The concept, contemporary take on classic continental dishes. The chef and owner, Thomas Keller, of Thomas Keller Restaurant Group, and chef de cuisine, Jared Huth. So why did I go? Well, I'm a chef... Keller Fan. This is a new new restaurant he has here in New York City. And also, I need to do a little research too, which I'll tell you about later in the show. So, my experience. I had a reservation for one on a Friday night. It was in the end of August, and it was I had a really lovely experience. From the moment I walked in, they were so welcoming. They sat me at a table near the vessel, which is the giant with industry people call the giant shawarma art installation outside. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> it's good. good it looks like one, right?
2: It does actually.
3: It's. I mean, it's very cool. It's very cool. But it's. Be- and the sun was setting. I had this nice view facing out, and um, my server was great. He was. He was very professional. Professional. But at one point, we started talking about they have these very fancy butter vessels uh, that like squirt out the butter in these curls, and we we're talking about it, and I found yeah. out these. Each one cost five hundred dollars, which I thought was really interesting, and I hope I hope they don't get taken. But um, now expensive, <laughs> expensive butter, expensive butter, um, uh, and very and and fun. So we, I had a great time, great service, um, and at the end of the meal, he took me into the the kitchen. I got a little tour of the kitchen, and you know what they do at this restaurant is they have the video screens from the Surf Club, which is Thomas Keller's restaurant in South Florida, going to the restaurant. And I know they do that from Per Se to uh, the French Laundry with the kitchens can, can see each other. So what did I get? I had the jumbo lump blue crab cake with spicy mayonnaise and I also had the grilled tornado of Aura King salmon. And complimentary, there was a crudité basket, bread and butter, as I said, the butter, and uh, caramel popcorn for dessert at the end. So my take, it was fabulous. The crudite is exactly what crudite Day should be. Beautiful, fresh vegetables, awesome dip. Uh, I love the crab cake. It had ample meat in it, very light, delicious. And the salmon was perfectly cooked, really wonderful. So the ambiance, it's a handsome, dimly lit space. It's, it has a throwback style of glamour. It's overlooking the vessel, as I said. And there's a little balcony outside, too, that I went on before I left. I'd say it's perfect for a special date night. So interesting tidbit, my guest on episode 127, Jimmy Yui of Yui Designs, he did the tech room's kitchen. And personal fun fact, so I recently pre-recorded an interview with Thomas Keller at the TAC room, which hence my research, and uh, we actually did this interview downstairs at Bookbinders, which is a, a gorgeous hidden speakeasy bar that's a part of the Tack room, and next week my show with Thomas Keller is going to be airing. So the cost of this meal was $69 not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would and their website's com. Have you all been to the tack room? I haven't
2: been yet. I
1: haven't been yet either. Did I sell you on it? Yeah. yeah Thanks <laughs> I'm getting yeah. hungry listening to <laughs>
3: you. You know, it's pricey but they give it like the crudite is such a nice thing to give as a, you know, as a complimentary um, snack.
1: Yeah. So refreshing. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So I have a couple of pre-recorded shows coming up, but my next live show is going to be with Penny Stankwitz. And she is a pastry chef, a cake artist, and the founder of Sugar Couture. And she also is a chef instructor of pastry and baking arts at the Institute of Culinary Education. And Penny has made cakes for me for special occasions before, and I've worked with her before, and she's fabulous I she think. Is. Do you know her?
2: I don't think so we met yet personally but I do follow her on Instagram and I admire her work. Yeah
3: anyway. that's nice that's but nice to hear Sometimes right? you know sometimes,
2: yeah. you follow so many people on Instagram sometimes you're like did I meet you or did I not meet you you know you feel like you know everybody right when you follow them but Penny definitely. come to Gramercy yeah, Tavern come. so we can meet you. But there she, you go.
3: Yeah her work
2: <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. Is that
3: our question do we want another one? Because I wanted to ask you guys to ask her a question. Uh, but that, like, can, oh. that can be <laughs> and
2: it. Every time I see, you know, she does wedding cakes a lot, right? And that's yeah. what I see on, on her Instagram and her work the sugar work and uh, flowers is amazing, outstanding. And you know, whenever I see that, I feel like I have a millions of questions. <laughs> I'm like, how do you do this? Like, I'd really love to. Um, okay. Can I come and trail with you and you can teach me how to nice <laughs> to make the? But you know, her her flower work especially is really. I
3: have no words so okay a question saying. Penny
2: can we come and visit your yeah. workshop can we come can you teach us please
3: <laughs> I love it I if I was her my counter question would be can I come into your kitchen and trail with you and sure. learn all your that's secrets because we really didn't even get into all of your delicious desserts and all of your seasonal wonderful food which I mean it's
2: that's okay just come know, to Grammar City Tavern and then we can people
3: are just going to have to come to experience it But we need a longer show to get into all the nitty-gritty of of the dishes, but I am and I'm not just saying it I am a huge fan of both of you, of every the whole team, the hospitality, everything—it's—it's really—it's really a special restaurant, and you guys are special. So congratulations! Yeah, thank can you it just, so much.
2: Can I just say one thing before we leave? Yes, you Sorry. can. I just want to say, please—you know—we spoke earlier about the tavern takeovers. We still have a whole bunch coming up. Please visit gramercytavern.com website to see a lot more. We're entering right now our sweet stage, so we're going to have a lot of great pastry chefs, bakers, chocolate and ice cream makers, people like Claudia Fleming, Karen Demont. Nick Morgan's a lot. A lot of great names are coming, so please check our website. You can also check our Instagrams at Chef Mike Anthony and Miro Skokovic. Shameless plug, I know. Sorry. No,
3: I, I have it in my notes <laughs> okay, too. Okay. But you're doing you're doing well, my job. I love call it. Please follow
2: us on Instagram. Check our website, and please come to Grand Mercy Tavern and check us out.
3: And Ken, just for the takeovers, mm-hmm. is it is that reservations or is this just come and, just and have come some food? You just come
1: to the tavern walk right in no reservations needed um just it's another great night and uh some people are there and don't even know that there's a special event happening so you don't have to buy a ticket um the energy is amazing uh, yeah Mon- monday nights
2: um at gramercy
1: tavern in the in the tavern
2: yeah but next, we, we now have it in different days as well. Like next Wednesday, Scare in the Moscow of ABCs. Oh, wow. uh, Nick is following day on Thursday. Uh, he's gonna park his little ice cream cart in the middle of the tavern room and serve his Sunday. So it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to see him. All of them. So please come.
3: I'm gonna come. I'm gonna. I mean, yes. <laughs> you have to now. I have to. <laughs> I have to. It's fabulous. So congratulations, 25 years Thank is you. just. I don't know. We'll see what happens over the next 25. How you, you know, I'll keep coming.
1: Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. So my guests today have been executive chef, Mike Anthony and pastry chef Miro Uskakovich. Yay. Got it. (laughs) Of Gramercy Tavern. And as we said, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary. And so to find out more, you can go to Gramercytavern.com and follow them on social. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer and at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and All in the industry.com. And all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So, what's happening over the next two weeks? I have two exciting pre-recorded interviews. So, next Wednesday, October 16th, will be my interview with Thomas Keller, chef and proprietor of Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. People probably know this, but that's the French Laundry, Bouchon Bouchon Bakery, Bouchon Bistro, Ad Hoc, Per Se, Tech Room, and more. And then the following week, I'm going back-to-back with these, 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 I don't know how got the i don't know how i got all these interviews with you chefs like i'm like i'm like in awe so the following week wednesday october 23rd i have on world-renowned italian chef and restaurateur massimo Botoro of three michelin star osteria francescana in modena italy and he's also been working on food for soul which is an amazing amazing refertoria project and um that uh, both of those shows will air at 4pm and then the next week on October 30th will be my show with Penny and I will be back here in the studio so that's a mouthful but I'll be posting on social media and thank you guys so much again for joining me
2: thanks
1: for
3: having us and thanks to my engineer Jeet I'm Sherry Bayer I'll be back uh, on October 30th till then enjoy the episodes and thank you for being part of All in the Industry bye (laughs)